You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday evening. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, joining us via Skype, my guest tonight, Ryan Bader, NHL producer. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're joining us from your home in Virginia, yes? Yes, sir. All right. in Virginia. Is that where I live now? All right. Well, uh, you are a producer for NHL, a uh, TV producer specifically. Um, what is your actual title? Like, what is what what is it you do for the well, league? I'm freelance right now for the league, so I mostly do coordination, coordinating producer for, like, events and stuff like that. So I'm not a full-time employee there, but I do stuff like uh, every event they have, I usually kind of help help out and staff and figure out uh, assignments and stuff like that and oversee some shoots. Okay. For, like, Winter Classic and the finals and all that kind of stuff and everything in between. All right. Sweet. Well, we'll get into all that, but I start the interview off with the same question every time. That question is, where were you born? I was born at Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland in well, 19-something, 26. You're, <laughs> you're, you're from Baltimore, huh? Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't... Uh, I don't know why I didn't pick that up. I, I, I'll, I'll tell everybody right off the bat. I met you through my dad, um, specifically through a job I did with you guys back in September. Um, we'd met before, but that was—I feel like we bonded in September for the first time. That was our <laughs> our bonding experience. Uh, it was a week up in the Upper Peninsula, but um, I, I I didn't know you were from Baltimore. I, I saw Baltimore this for the first time in my life this just this past year. So, uh, did you grow up in Baltimore? I spent most of the time in Baltimore. I actually moved around a little bit when I was uh, when I was in uh, in middle school and elementary school. I moved to Connecticut when I was in middle school, and I lived in Spain for a year when I was uh, in elementary school. And then I came back to Baltimore uh, for high school, most of high school. Really? Did, uh, say habla español. Uh, <laughs> un poquito. I was seven at the time, and I've kind of lost it, and I'm very bad with languages like extremely bad oh me too i I can ask people if they know how to speak spanish and that's it it, after that it gets pretty limited but uh so uh so that's pretty cool though you moved around you live in another country you you moved around but most of your childhood was based in baltimore so so uh why were you moving around so much was it your your parents jobs or uh no well uh, my mom um needed a break my parents got divorced when i was about four and then my mom needed a break when I was around seven and uh, took a hiatus. And we lived in Spain for a year. And then when I was in, I think, seventh grade, I moved to Connecticut with my mom and my stepdad. And then I moved back to Baltimore for uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Oh, okay. That must have been quite and the experience because of school and everything. Did you adjust to that well, or was it kind of a challenge? Yeah, no, it was a point. Um, I think Connecticut in seventh grade, I got a stepdad, I got a, a new city, I left my dad in Baltimore, and uh, it was kind of a rough adjustment, but I I, I eventually got over it, and I, I, I like Connecticut now, it's not that bad. Uh, what what did your parents do for a living, your, your dad and your stepdad and your mom? Um, my dad is a was a longtime football coach, uh, the, first in offensive line and defensive line. Uh, at a college in uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. And uh, my mom, the hospital administrator, and then she went on to actually actually be like a 
college professor, and then a guidance counselor uh, for middle school and elementary schools. All right, and, and now they're now they're both pretty much retired. And my stepdad was a uh, he was a doctor for a long time, a radi- interventional radiologist. All right. So if your yeah. dad was a coach, did you you must have played then? Yeah, I played in middle school and in high school. I played football. Um, I was okay. It's weird because you know, <laughs> uh, most of the most of the other kids of like uh, the coaches were pretty good athletes, and I uh, I think I took more after my mom and my athletic ability, uh, and my dad and my academics. So it was a really good combo that I kind of got I got uh, screwed on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the opposite of what you would have hoped for. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I was a, a, a fine football player. I was average football player. And uh, but I I like the sport and I like playing it and stuff like that and I like the camaraderie of a sport and all that kind of stuff. Was there any pressure from your dad to to like succeed in that or was he just kind of like, hey, you can do it and if you enjoy it, fine. If not, then it's no skin off my nose. Exactly. My dad was more of the latter of that. He was a very relaxed guy. He, uh, I mean, for a football coach, he's very relaxed and a very compassionate dude. Um, no, I never. He never pressured me to do to do anything. Any sport, really. He was happy when I was playing. He was cool. And uh, he was he was a good dad in that way. Like, uh, he never pressured me. I always felt, like, uh, love and all that kind of stuff. It was great. I still, he's still a great dad. So. Uh, what kind of a student were you? Oh, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, uh, I, I went to school uh, a lot. <laughs> I, uh, you were present. My, yeah. <laughs> My grades weren't great per se, or, or uh, <laughs> I was like in like low math. I was like that kid. Like when I was a senior, I think I was in the math class with a bunch of sophomores. Like that's kind of my academic range. I, I for a while I thought like I was like the king of C plus B minus. Like I could achieve that at any university or any place I went because <laughs> it took very little for me to achieve that. But like to get above that, I probably would have had to work, and I don't think I was ready to work at that level. Uh. I did the same thing. I was in, like you said, I was a senior and I was in a math class with a bunch of sophomores. Um, <laughs> that's just, and I mean, it's just at a certain point, like I, I knew by then, you know, th- I'm not going to get oh, this yeah. shit. If I was going to get it, I would have gotten it by now. And uh, that's okay. Cause I was a good, I was good at English and, and a couple other things, but it was like the math. It's like, I don't know why they keep trying to, I don't know why they keep trying, you know, <laughs> this isn't going to happen. So I feel yeah, you on I went, that. I think that's part of the reason I went to college was I, I they didn't um they didn't they didn't need uh, a math requirement. I was like, that sounds awesome and I'm good. Yeah. Good with that. So. Um so let me ask you this. I kinda wanna jump this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but how did you get into T V and producing? When you were that age, when you were playing football and, and, and being a student, did you have any interest in that sort of thing? Was that something that you an ambition that you'd had as a kid, or was that something that just kind of happened later when you became an adult? Well, I, I look back at it now. I mean, me and my buddies used to make movies and stuff like that, uh, like, you know, with the VHS camera, and we'd run around like idiots and do stupid stuff with the camera. Um, but I never really thought about it. In college, I didn't even know what I wanted to do at all. Um, but I knew, I think after I graduated, I was uh, I was doing some work as like a, a temp and then like just doing like um, beta testing for this uh, computer program. And I was just like, this is not really what I want to do. I think I want to work in entertainment. And I didn't know what facet or what I wanted to do. And I just kind of 
when I was 23, I got, uh, I moved, I moved away from Baltimore and I went to Los Angeles and lived there. And actually, thankfully my stepdad's uh, mother lived out there and I was able to stay with her in beautiful Tarzan, Tarzana, California. Huh. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of, I mean, so you did make movies when you were a kid though, and, and, but it was never like a serious thing. It was just sort of a thing, something to do. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. Like in retrospect, I, I just kind of just kind of popped in my head when he asked me. Like we we used to like you know, like just beat like wrestling movies, beat the crap out of each other, or or like you know like scare each other and do that kind of stuff on on the camera. Uh, but it wasn't like anything like you know artistic per se. Yeah, there wasn't like a coherent approach to it. It was just sort of like we're gonna fuck around and turn the camera on it and and see what happens. Exactly. There was definitely there definitely was no coherency to anything I've ever. <laughs> I ever made as a kid, and to be honest with you, as an adult, there's not much going on either. But you know, um, I, I try. Do you still? So you don't still? You don't still have any of those tapes or anything like that? That's not something you hung on to. No, my dad does. I just haven't. I'm embarrassed to look at him and that kind of thing. I probably will eventually. Well, where did you go to college then? I went to two schools. I got. I, I was happy to get into college. I went to George Mason in Virginia my freshman year, and then I transferred to uh, Gettysburg College in PA my second year, and then, then graduated from Gettysburg with a degree in history. Oh, okay. And why? how did you end up doing history then? Uh, it was the only subject I really enjoyed, and I was actually pretty good at it. I can retain like little facts and stuff pretty well, um, and so I always had an interest in history. I was like, <laughs> I want to... This is going to show you how cool I was as a kid. I used to read, and also how old I am, I used to read, like, the encyclopedia. And, like, my the mom would be like, you need to calm down. Just read something. Pick some, pick a, pick an encyclopedia book and read something out of it. And so I used to, like, do that all the time. And I'd retain, I was able to retain a little bit of information like that kind of stuff. And I enjoyed that history. I've always, I always enjoyed it. Like, as a kid in Connecticut, we used to go to, one of those like Williamsburg, Virginia places up in Massachusetts, and I and I like I loved it. It was like my favorite place. Watching people reenact like stuff. Yeah, and and that was a that's a good place to do it too. I mean, you've lived on the East Coast pretty much your whole life, with a couple except. I mean, not your whole life, but you know, with a couple exceptions. Um, and that's all history. American history, you know, started on the East Coast. Uh, so you get yeah. in Gettysburg. I mean, it's right there in the name. You know, in terms of. Uh, so what's your favorite, uh, like, history tidbit or anecdote? Can you think of one? Um, I've always been into, like, presidential history, so I always enjoyed that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of something, like, really amazing, um, but I can't remember any. See, now you put me on the spot. I can't, I can't no, well, here, I'll, I'll tell you what, because I love presidential history, too. I'll tell you my favorite sure. little – it's not one of my favorites, but it's okay. a, a little bit of an obscure one. Calvin Coolidge, who was our 25th president, was known as this really quiet guy. And uh, one, so at one party, I think it was the wife of a diplomat. Somebody came up to him. It was a woman. And she came up to him and said, my husband bet me like 20 bucks or whatever that if I couldn't get – that I could get you to say more than three words. And Coolidge responded, fuck you. <laughs> he actually – he didn't say fuck you. He, he said you lose. He's what he actually said was you lose, but that's the way I tell it is funnier. Um, so that's my little story. Uh, let me think. I've always liked like the uh, I think it was like Teddy Roosevelt I was big into like 
I think Teddy Roosevelt's kids were so wild when he was in the White House that they had to put like bars on the White House. And then people thought, I think when Woodrow Wilson was sick, I think that they thought like Woodrow Wilson went went nuts. So they had to put the bar. They they assumed that that's why they put the bars up and that kind of thing. Really? Because he had a stroke. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that no one knew about it. So I think like they kind of hid that from the from the people that he had a stroke. Yeah. So I think that's what they they hadn't seen him in a while. And I think that I think that came up, but I'm not positive. But it was really because the Roosevelt children were so wild. Also, I think I learned today that I was playing some game that uh, the guy, the the security guard who was protecting Lincoln was at the bar when John Wilkes Booth shot him. But I'm not. I'm trusting uh, a, a game on my iPhone, so maybe that's not accurate. I no, I've heard that too. I'm not sure how accurate it is either, but I did hear that he was he was getting he was actually drunk. He was literally drunk at the bar while he was supposed to be standing outside the door, and so John Wilkes Booth just wandered in and and made history. But uh, yeah, no, and, and the the Wilson thing, yeah, his wife. They say his wife was technically the first woman president because she sort of yes. finished out his term for him, doing all the the actual talking and, 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 and the actual work for him. And he, he had the stroke in the middle of a speech too. Um, so that, oh, did he really? yeah, the, from what I can remember. Yeah. Uh, so and that's it's also interesting that the women's right to vote was during that time too. So I don't yeah. necessarily if that had anything to do with it. I mean, Wilson was like, kind of, I think, I believe he was like incredibly racist. He was, yeah. Medic, I believe. Um, and I think like all these like weird, crazy things about him and he was still able to be elected. He was obviously, uh, one of the, like a, a teacher, and he and he was like a president of a college and all this kind of stuff. As was his brother, I think. But like, it's crazy. Yeah, he was. He was the he Princeton. He was the president of Princeton, and then he was the governor of New Jersey. And then he, I think, he yeah. basically won the election in 1912 because Teddy Roosevelt realized he'd fucked up by not yeah. continuing to be president. So he formed a third party, and him and Taft split the vote, and Wilson just kind of benefited from it. And then he was president and he, during and World he War One. Because otherwise we would have had a, a pre- Roosevelt as president during both world wars, or at the beginnings of them anyway, because Teddy Roosevelt would have been president during World War One, And he was like this notorious, like he thought he was one of those wars, glorious type people. And and so he even offered to uh, um, lead troops into battle, him, like personally, and they were like, you don't need to do that. No, that's, that's, that, that won't be necessary. <laughs> But his children, before we move on, because now we've got on the subject. I didn't know you were into this. I love this this shit. Uh, but you said uh, his his children were were uh, notoriously rowdy, and I, I remember there's that one quote he's talking about his daughter Alice, and um, he said the quote is something like, "I can either be president or I can I can control Alice. I cannot do both," and that that sums it up right there. When I lived on that is funny. When I lived in uh, New York, I lived on 20th Street, and so I used to walk by his the house he grew up in. Oh, no he was sure. obviously a sickly child. And so you, you like, you, you get tours of his, uh, his, where he was born, where he lived when he was a little child. And like, they had like the exercise room and you hear all the stories about him. Like, you know, after he, he overcame all the, the issues when he was a uh, sick child to like work out and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, and the, see like the, you know, the medicine ball from 1870, you know what I mean? It was pretty, it was pretty great stuff to see. Yeah. That must've been neat to be able to go there kind of whenever you wanted. Yeah, well, New York's one of the best cities in the world, just in general. So you can do a lot of cool stuff historically like that too. Well, so so you went to college for history. Um, you graduated with your degree, and and then what? What happened? And then I moved back to Baltimore, and I just kind of did like I was a 
I did some great work parking cars in Little Italy for a while. I uh, I did some temp work, and then I um, I got a job working on like a beta testing for a computer program. Um, and I didn't. The funny thing is, I don't know much about. I don't really know how to use computers that well, and I don't know how to code or anything like that. It was just beta testing and helping out with like uh, uh, customer service and stuff on the phone. But I I realized pretty like midway through that like year when my, my boss goes, so what are you going to do next? <laughs> like, oh, you don't think this is good for me? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, yeah. So then I started thinking about what I really wanted to do with my life. And that's, I was like, I kind of want to get into entertainment. And, uh, but I didn't know what, in what venue or what avenue, how to get there or anything like that. And, but I, I knew Los Angeles, I had a buddy from high school out there and, uh, I decided to uh, just try living out in LA for a little bit and see what happened. And so you you went and lived with your stepdad's mom. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. She so, was the best. She's a great roommate. <laughs> uh, so what happened when you got out to LA then? I uh, you know I did I continued doing I uh, doing temp work. I realized uh, I needed to get in shape because everyone else was in shape, so I worked out a lot. And then I uh, I used to uh, do temp work for like B of A out there and. Uh, and that was that was okay. It was like it was pretty easy stuff. And then um, I was talking to my friend who lived out there, his uh, his friend, and I was like, oh, I just want to get into TV. I'll do anything. And he's like, uh, you know, I could probably get you a PA job working on um, a, a company that does Travel Channel shows. So that's uh, he got me hooked up with that, and I did uh, some of the world's best shows, which were shot on like mini DV cam. And this is like 2000, I think. So it was pretty early on for a mini DV and uh, it was all SD, all that kind of stuff. So I did all that kind of stuff. Uh, did that for a couple months. And then um, I eventually, there was an email that came out. They were looking for PAs on a sports documentary series. And I, uh, I'd always had affinity for sports. I grew up like, also like besides reading, like I used to like love like statistics and stuff and reading like stats and baseball players and I retain as I said like I retain a lot of like useless information so it was kind of perfect for me and I applied and I somehow got that job that was pretty cool and I worked on a documentary series for for a year and change and that's kind of what got me into sports so so it was it was it wasn't that long you know after you moved out there and you were into it like you you did some sort of odd jobs at first but then you got that travel channel job and uh and then you were off and and that was it. And it clicked with you. You were like, I made the right decision. This is just, I'm enjoying this like I thought I would. Well, I was scared out of my mind to move out there. Um, but I was also scared of like talking to women and, you know, I was scared of like, you know, anything <laughs> back then. So I had decided, yeah, no, I, I kind of like felt good about the, the, what was going on. At least I was trying something different. And, you know, you hear all the stories about like friends of friends who go out to Los Angeles then come back like a month later or come back six months, uh, six weeks later and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to at least try it for a year and see what happens. And it kind of worked out where I was able to get uh, one job and then uh, the, uh, quickly, like there was no time between the first job. It was like, I think I ended my first job, like doing the travel channel stuff. I ended up like, like Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And then I started uh, the show on Monday, that following Monday after Thanksgiving. Do you remember? Cool. Do you remember your first like assignment on that job? Oh, it was uh, drive around and drop off tapes and pick off tapes. Oh. Pick up tapes from uh, like Fox. It was a Fox Sports show, so I used to pick up tapes from Fox Sports 
I then go back to our offices and drop them off. And then I would pick up tapes from somewhere else and then drop them off. And I would go, I was really good at getting lunch for a long time. I got lunch for a while. Like yeah. uh, I used to go to Chipotle a great deal. Not Chipotle. Actually it was Baja Fresh. I'm sorry. Baja Fresh. And uh, used to get meals there and get like, you know, Kukuru. It was all good, good times. So you were a gopher then to begin with. You were a tape runner and a, and a go get lunch guy. I prefer I prefer runner instead of gopher, but yeah, you can. I was a gopher, yeah. I was a PA. Um. So, uh, how long did you do that for then at that at the Fox Sports thing? For the runner. Uh, yeah. I did it till um, probably for about a year, and then I kind of became a PA. For the, the the company got another series, but this time for ESPN, a documentary series, and I did uh, I did some runner stuff for them. And I was, a, I was more of a production assistant really then at that point. I didn't have to go and get people lunch and stuff. And you just learned as you, you learned from other people around you and they taught you, they walked you through stuff and they helped you out a lot. A lot of people were very helpful, like trying to guide you, especially at that level, you know what I mean? And, and right. make sure you were okay. Like to be honest with you, on your PA, as long as you're like, if you keep showing up and you keep, and you work hard, you do get recognized at that level pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, it's 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 difficult to fuck that up. All you need to do is just like you said, show up and take orders and not screw up the orders and then that, yeah. you know, that'll you'll you you'll at least get to stick around <laughs> in my experience. Um yeah, I was I was I did mess up the boss's order every single time though, one of the bosses. Okay. I know he he would constantly ask for like guacamole and I would constantly order uh, no guacamole. And I constantly order like this is from Baja Fresh. I'd be like no guacamole on this. And like I would come back with like thirty lunches, and I and, and there was always guacamole on that meal. <laughs> I, I think at one point I was like, "Dude, do you think it's me who's messing this up, up this meal, or it's the guy, the guy making, um, guy making it?" Yeah, I was like I'm really trying to make, make my life in the season, and he would kind of laugh at that, but like I could see like he was disgusted by guacamole. Yeah, he, he'd <laughs> la- he'd laugh, and then he'd say he'd laugh, and then he'd say, uh, "If it happens again, you're out of here." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You were there almost. It was like it was like you were there. So, uh, what was the documentary series that ESPN uh, that ESPN gave you guys that you you worked on? So, well, I started off on, on the Fox Sports Show with Beyond the Glory, and then uh, and then it, we worked on um, Sports Century uh, Year in Review, and it was like a series about like uh, they have like six stories, I think, from like 1980 to two to not at that point 99, I guess, or 2000, um, and they'd have like. Uh, five or six stories each, each episode. So they were like 20, 20 episodes. And then you would, uh, you get like, like, like if it was 1988, there one, one would be about like Earl Hershiser or someone like that. And then it would be, uh, some other stuff like the Olympics in 88 and that kind of thing. And you'd have like five or six stories that each episode. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Um, so, uh, so what happened after that then, after, after that job, what was the next step for you? Well, during that job, I actually went to Connecticut and I was pulling, I, uh, I needed help pulling tapes, pulling footage from the, the storage in Connecticut. And I started doing rights and clearances there too, which are two of the, uh, uh, uh the most painful jobs to do. <laughs> so I did that. Uh, and then when I came back from there, um, I made a couple connections in Bristol and uh, a show they were looking for a, uh, at that point I was kind of like a, I was a, a segment producer at that point because I finished off a bunch of the shows 
So I kind of, and a researcher, and I kind of got um, a job with uh, Jim Rome is burning. It was uh, Jim Rome going back to ESPN. Uh, yes. And I was able to uh, help out with that show in the beginning. So you had, you had already done some producing cool. before you left that, those, the, the, uh, the job in L.A. then? Uh, yeah. When I left for L.A. No, Jim Rome was in L.A. Oh, Jim Rome was in L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, you mean when I went to Connecticut? No, I, I was still, like, learning. and I, But rights and clearances were an important gig. It was a little bit more than just doing, like, PA work. And, and, pulling, and then when I came back to finish the series, I was kind of helping out with the segments and all that kind of stuff, thing, producing that kind of stuff. So you, do you remember the first assignment that you had as a producer, though? Because you'd, you'd been climbing the ladder. You'd been getting jobs with more responsibility for a little bit by then. But do you remember the first job where you had where they're like, okay, Bader, you're going to be producing this. Here's what we want you to do. I, I guess it was segment producing at Jim Rome. Um, we would have different segments. Like the show in the beginning was a weekly one-hour show. And so we had several segments. And I would do like, I would research the uh, guests and I would also re- I would do research and do pre-interviews for um, the roundtable discussion that they had. Um, so I, that's kind of the first kind of, I would kind of help out with that. And that was kind of my first producing role. Se- segment producing. Did you find that your, your knowledge of sports statistics uh, sort of helped, helped with that job? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like my useless information that I thought was useless actually became Oh, and I can, and I, for some reason I was able to retain that stuff better than most things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was actually, it really did pay off actually. All those hours of me as a kid staring at the newspaper and studying stuff, you know what I mean? It actually did work out for me. Yeah. I, and now I got to ask you while we're on the subject, do you have a favorite sports statistic or sports tidbit similar to the presidential history thing? I, I don't mean to put you on the spot a second time, but I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Let me think about that. I was I'm like big into Orioles and I love the the uh, Baltimore team, but let me think about my favorite stat. Like the one that helped me get the job with Beyond the Glory was uh, they asked me at the time uh, uh, they asked me any facts I knew about um, Bill Buckner that wasn't like the ball going through the legs, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said when he retired, he was the uh, he was the hit leader for active players, and uh, I think that in Preston, maybe I don't know, but it was true. So that that helped me get the job. Uh, but let me think of my favorite, some of my favorites. I just, you know, I just love. Also, like, let me also talk about like growing up. I loved watching like NFL films shows. Like you know, like when they used to do like a year review of each team, and they do like you know the nineteen eighty four like Tampa Bay Bucks who were like four and twelve or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would I would be like they make it they have such a positive spin on it and stuff like that. And I always loved that stuff. So that was like one of my uh, things growing up where I, I was, they were six and 10 actually. Now that I look at the stats. <laughs> so, um, but let me, sorry, I was about to jump back. No, no, go, go for ahead. it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, now that was it, pretty much it. And so like my favorite, like, I don't know if I have any like stats that like would blow your mind. I, uh, I think for a long time I was able to do all the like, the Stanley Cup winners, the NBA winners, and the MLB and Super Bowl winners from like the late '60s till till like 2010, but I can't do it anymore. I'm just so I've I've lost that beautiful skill that I once had, but I was able to do that for a long time. 
Well, uh, it sounds like you because you said you like Baltimore Orioles, so you, and then and then you were mentioning football quite a bit. So you've you've mostly been a baseball slash football guy. Those have been your two specific sports that you followed. Uh, no, I was in I was in the basketball a lot too, but Fair not enough. and I liked hockey. I went to no, I went to games and I used to go to like Caps games. I used to listen to the Rangers on uh, WFAN when I was a kid because nothing beats uh, hockey on the radio. So I. <laughs> That's a that's a joke. Uh, I was uh, <laughs> I was gonna say I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I used to listen to hockey on the radio all the time and that kind of stuff. I, I pretty much I listened to everything that was on WFAN. So I listened to a lot of Mets games, and this was right in like middle school. So I would listen to WFAN like all day, every day, and I would they had Rangers and Mets, and they had the Giants. I think back then, so I listened to all that stuff all the time, and they had the Knicks too. They had everything, actually. I don't know how that how that worked out. So, you, so you've been pretty well-rounded from the very beginning. Then. It's almost kind of like odd that you didn't see this coming, that your job would would entail, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that you considered useless for so long, you know? I mean, you're just, you're spouting off just now, you know, just, I can just tell, like, your mind is, like, rattling off all these different little, little things, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how this guy didn't think he was going to end up using this at some point in his life. Uh, well, I didn't know what I wanted. Like, to be honest with you, I, didn't, I was just happy. When I chose a major, I was ecstatic that I had a major that I liked. Cause I like, it was like, a, it was like pulling teeth trying to figure out what I wanted to major in, in college. And luckily Gettysburg doesn't have a vast selection of majors. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty basic. And it just, it's a, it's a very small liberal arts college. So I just, I liked it. I was like, I like history. And I think I can do something with that, you know? But uh, no, I didn't think I would be able to use any of this useless information. I also know a lot about like 1980s sitcoms too, but I didn't think I could pay, that would pay off either. Well, yeah, man. I mean, the, all I'm those things wait, like I'm, I'm, I'm still wait. I'm still waiting for that really to pay off. But yeah, it could, man. I mean, that all you know, 80s nostalgia is a thing right now, and I, I mean, it's probably not going to be going <laughs> away for you know for a little bit. So, I'm sure, I'm sure something will come up, and it's TV. I mean, you're already in the right industry. But yeah, and then the the history thing. I mean, we have the History Channel. I mean, I believe it's mostly reality TV now, but you never know. It could, you know, make a turnaround and go back to the actual history. Um, and but in the meantime, sports isn't going anywhere. Uh, so exactly. So you, after, so how long were you were you with Jim Rome then? I was there for about two and a half years, and it was a good experience. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a good uh, good bosses, and Jim was I. I uh, Jim was the first talent I ever worked with and he was, uh, he was good. He was a really intelligent guy and he, I've never seen a guy work harder than him. And it was, a, it was like, I would get emails from him at like uh, five in the morning and then sometimes at 11 o'clock at night. And I was just like, this guy is, has, a, has an amazing work ethic and it kind of rubbed off on you too. Mm-hmm. You know? Cause you wanted to help him as much as he, as he needed. So. Did you? Would you say that that was the job where you finally became a producer? Like after that two and a half years, you walked out and you're like, "I'm a, I'm a producer. This is what I do now, and this is going to be my career." Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty true. I think I knew I wanted to work in TV and sports TV for a, a little bit longer and continue doing that stuff. And I think I really enjoyed working on a daily talk show. And so, yeah, I thought I thought I had uh, I could do it for a little bit longer. Yeah. So uh, what happened after Jim Rome then? Where'd you go? 
I got a job in New York working for the show called Classic Now, um, which uh, uh, I was there in the beginning of that show, and I was also at the end of that show when that show got canceled from uh, ESPN Classic. Um, but it was an interesting show to work on. It was hard. It was really hard. Um, but there were a lot of successful people that came out of there. So it, it, we had a lot of good talent off camera and on camera there. So it was pretty cool. Uh, it was hosted by like uh, Josh Elliott, who has since worked for every single uh, um, channel. ESPN, ABC. Uh, I think he went to NBC Sports and then CBS. And then now he's doing a show on Fox. And they have some guys behind the scenes who have been really successful, like uh, Dan Patrick's um, producer uh, worked on there. Paul Pass worked on the show. And Ariel Helwani, who's uh, one of the leading MMA fighter, uh, MMA guys, writing-wise, and he works for ESPN and all that kind of stuff. All those guys worked on, on behind the scenes on that show. So that was pretty cool. Huh. And, and how long were you with them? Uh, the show, I think I started in June. And uh, of uh, oh five maybe, and the show got canceled in March of the following year. So I was, I was able, I was free after that to watch. Uh, I was very excited at least uh, to watch uh, the uh, NCAA tournament. I had some time for that. Oh yeah, perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, worked out. Job ends in March. <laughs> Except you're living in New York with no money, which is kind of tough. Yeah. Well, how long were you out of work then? I think I was out of work. I was doing like just odd job, uh, odd like freelance jobs, doing some editing a little bit. Um, and then uh, I was at work probably for about two months. And then I, I worked on this show for uh, uh, MSG, which is a local network that has like the Knicks and the Rangers. And I worked on a, a documentary series for them that was called The 50 Greatest Moments in, uh, in the Garden History. And that was really fun to work on. I met a lot of, I, I got to interview and meet a lot of really great like athletes. I like one of my favorite interviews ever was with Earl, Mon- Earl Monroe, the Pearl, and he was like the greatest guy. And I was just like, it was my, I was, it was like the end of the series, like the end of the interview section that we were doing. I got to interview him for like two hours, and it felt, it just felt very, I felt very confident at that point of the knowledge of the Knicks and of him. And I was like, and it just, it was probably one of my favorite interviews of all time. But he's also a great guy mm-hmm. and very interesting. That was cool. And you guys hit it off then too. That that must be nice to like meet a a person that you've admired for so long, and then they treat you as an equal, and and yeah, you, you know you you, really cool. you have a moment with them that you can uh, you can share for you can cherish for the rest of your life. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool when that happens. Well, so when did you end up with the NHL then? So after that, uh, I did some stuff for the SB Awards for a couple years, and then. Um, one of my friends was working at the NHL and she uh, recommended me for a producer job at the NHL and I was able to get that. And that was in 08, I think. And so what, what, what specifically was the job? What were you working on? Uh, in the beginning, I wasn't sure, um, <laughs> uh, but I ended up, uh, it was mostly it started off as digital content and then it kind of, cause that was the, kind of the, the beginning of like digital content. Right. Um, and so I was able to do a lot, I edit and shoot some stuff myself and then work with some really good shooters and do some pieces for, uh, NHL network. And, uh, eventually I, uh, was, uh, me and this other guy kind of ran the, uh, 
the promo department for HL Network, which was fun. And I also got to do like the documentaries there, um, like Stanley Cup championship films. Uh, I used to co-produce those, a couple of those. Um, and they were, that was really fun. There's some cool stuff. We did a really lot. Of, and also like NHL was an environment where you actually had to like edit. So I had to like, I could always edit a little bit, but then you actually had to like be able to tell stories. And like, I remember in the beginning of editing, it was like trying to get used to being in, like as a producer, usually in the back row telling the editor what to do. And then you go into edit and then you're in the front row and you have to like think <clears throat> in the back row, you, you have to like think a couple moves ahead. So the editor was never like not doing anything mm-hmm. and wasting time. And then in the front row, you'd actually had to like, I you could never like figure that out. So you're always in the moment and then just figure out the next step. But it was a great way to learn how to edit and to storytell, which I think I got a lot better at the NHL doing that. And then does that take us to where we are today? Because I know you said you were freelancing. You started freelancing recently, but that was the job that you held up until you went freelance again. Am I right? Uh, yeah. That, yeah. So I went to the, I left the NHL um, full time in 13. And I came back in 16 to do freelance stuff with them. I did some freelance stuff in 14 as well. When I had, when I had two kids and then I decided to, uh, I really missed uh, working in, in TV and, and I missed working in sports TV. And so who are you, who, who's most of your work for now, now that you're freelancing? Yeah, well, it's mostly for NHL. They keep me pretty busy, but I also have a guy down here who uh, uh, produces some high end, um, stuff for VCU and for um, University of Richmond and that kind of stuff. And he's a really talented uh, camera guy. And so I edit a lot of his, uh, a lot of of stuff for him and I'm able to shoot a little bit for him and I'm able to produce a little bit and I'm able just to be, just help out whenever he needs to, that kind of thing. So they kind of, that fills in the void that when I'm not doing stuff for the NHL and and it helps out a lot. All right. Well, so th- there's there's the story there. It's sort of a you know a rough outline of your story. Um, so I I have I'm gonna I call these rapid fire questions. They're not really rapid fire because there's not a whole ton of them, and and they usually turn into discussions. But I've got these uh, questions to sort of about the whole your whole general career, and I want to ask you. And uh, the first one is um, what you started. You said in around 2000. How has the industry changed uh, since you've been in it? Like, what's the biggest change that you've you've been through in terms of at what you actually uh, do? Well, I mean, the reality is back then, it, TV was done strictly by professionals who had done it for a long time. Uh, and it was just a different beast. And then today, like, through the internet, good or bad, uh, almost anyone can do create content. And they do. And it's cool. Uh, to do it both ways and learn both ways. It's just a totally different industry. I mean, when I started, HD didn't exist. Uh, some people were still doing stuff on beta cam, shooting on beta cam uh, or three or three quarter inch camera. And uh, nowadays you can shoot on your phone and have it on, on air. Yeah, that's true. In fact, I think you, did you shoot anything on your phone when I saw you in September? I feel like you did. I feel like there might've been like one or two things that. Uh, I think yeah, I think I might have shot a couple of stuff, a couple of things just randomly on on. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, maybe I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that. It, that was the only shoot I've been on in like four years. So if it if it happened, and I mean, obviously, you, <laughs> you know, So if if I'm remembering it, that had to have been when it happened. But, um, but yeah. So the the 
you know, like you said, anybody can create the content now. Has that been mostly good for you or, or bad for you? Or like, what's, what are your thoughts on that? I, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's good or bad. I think it's uh, good, actually, that anyone can, like, the other thing is, it's just, it kind of, like, when I watch some videos on, like, the, on YouTube or something like that, or, and you realize it's done by a 13 year old kid, and you're just like, my God, they're ta- more talented than I am. It beats you up a little bit, but then it's, uh, you know, you do have skill sets and, uh, where like storytelling helps and all that kind of stuff. So, I, uh, so you, you do realize you are useful. Um, but no, it's, uh, I think it's, it's good that we have so much content. I think it's cool that you can watch so many different out, uh, points of view and so many different, uh, opinions on, on everything. And it's, uh, I think it's a good thing. I think you tell me, what do you think? Uh, I think it's good for the most part, but what's the, there's a not good aspect of it. And that's if, if it's harder to get in now, because, because like you said, there's a, there's super talented 13 year olds doing it. Well, then you got to compete with those 13 year olds. Whereas 20 years ago, you didn't have to compete with the 13 year olds. You just had to meet the right people and get in. Um, so I think that, go ahead. Uh, Well, I was, it was, it's uh, it's it's like that everywhere though. Like I, I mean, I'm a writer, and like fucking everybody writes now. It's just it's insane how how many people you you think that you write your first novel and you, and you don't know anybody personally who's done it, <clears throat> and you're like, oh, this is cool. But then you go online, you go on Twitter, and you're like, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people doing this, and it's it's almost a lottery uh, with any sort of entertainment business trying to get into it because you have to be super good, you have to be super prolific diligent it's just a and 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 that makes it that much harder to to stand out um but what's good about it is the fact that because everybody has to be that much better the content becomes the content's quality goes up because of all that so that's 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 my thoughts on it i, I definitely see what, i i agree with you i think the content does get better um and i think the the good stuff rises above the others um but it also was tough to get in the industry as a in the 2000s and in the 90s too like it wasn't an easy like <laughs> thing to get your feet in when you especially when especially i came from baltimore and i didn't know anyone who really worked in tv and i just kind of got lucky with a friend of a friend mm-hmm. um it was tough to get it cause like as of like you know when you apply online nowadays you're like where does this job application go Does it just go in the ether and back then it was just like the same concept of like fax machines you know what i mean right so I, I think nowadays at least you, you have some content that you can show and it can get you some sort of introduction in that way too. So I think it's a little bit easier in that way because, you know, like a lot of people have that kind of outlet now. Right. So, well, it's, it's different because it's like back then it was harder because you didn't have your own way of doing it. Now it's harder because everybody has their way, has a way of doing it, including you. So you, you have the benefit of being able to do it on your own, but now you have to stand out for more for more people, whereas before you couldn't have done it on your own. But you uh, you didn't have as many competitors, so it was it was a little little bit easier uh, in that way. But it's it's it, that's actually my next question is it's going to continue to evolve. Where do you see it going next? Like, what's the next thing now that everything's digital? Where do we go from here? Um. Yeah. No. Uh, it's a good question. Um. I have. Uh... I think there's going to be obviously more breaking up of networks that like 
the, the broadcast industry is pretty, especially the standard broadcast industry is going to be more online and all that kind of stuff. And it's definitely going to, you know, keep getting, keep getting, you know, less and less shows and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it's just, eventually you'll have, you'll just have sites that you go to that you can view content on, on, I, 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 you know, that sounds like a, I'm like a really old man, but like, you know, Apple TV, you can watch anything on there now. And uh, I think that's essentially, you'll just be able to so, to to view anything you want to view at any time, essentially. Right. What's essentially the- what it is like today. But it's going to be, it's going to be continuation of that, I think, for a little bit longer until something else is kind of created. I'm not positive. If I knew where it was going, I think I would be in a better position than I am currently. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, you look at teenagers, and, like, teenagers watch YouTube. That's what they watch. They don't watch TV. They'll stream something. They'll watch, like, Netflix or exactly. whatever, but it's all YouTube. It's mostly YouTube. Um, so it'll probably be well, some form of that. I remember when I worked on Jim Rome, we used to do these, like, mini pieces that were, like, behind the scenes of, like, specific players, and I did some with, like – I remember doing one with like Dante Stallworth when he was with the Saints. And I remember doing it with a couple of the Bucks back in the day. Um, and then like those pieces is, is pretty much what content is today. And I was like this, and I knew, and I knew at that point, like this is what the internet is going to be like little shorter pieces and obviously now longer form pieces now, but like back then because video streaming was so difficult, like I knew where it was going to go, but now it's like so wide open. Like if you told me that like last <laughs> I think on Jeopardy's final answer last night was like, what the heck? this company had um, nine in 2004, this company had nine, uh, 4,000 or 9,000 like uh, storefronts. And today it has one in Oregon. What is, you know, and what was the answer is blockbuster. Like if you right. told me like that blockbuster would be dead in 04, I'd be like, you're insane. Yeah. That blockbuster would have said the same thing. <laughs> and that's what, and, and then <laughs> exactly. we saw what well, happened. They, and they own, they own part of, they own part of Netflix and they kind of screwed up that deal too. So. Yeah, they did. They want, I think Netflix like offered them some deal and like around then it was the early 2000s. And it was like a steal. It was like maybe in the tens of millions and blockbuster was like, yeah, no, thanks. We're good. And now, you know, here we are. <laughs> now they're kicking themselves at their one location in Oregon. Uh, so, uh, next question. Um, what is something about uh, producing that no one understands that you wish they did? Um, oh, I think the like, I think the best thing as a producer you can do is just be decisive in your decisions. Um, even if they're wrong, you can fix them later on. But, like, in the moment to be decisive. It's because it's so like being indecisive is the killer of making TV and making content. So if you're decisive in your decision, you, cause I mean, Hey, if you're wrong, you're wrong, but at least you made a decision and that was the right decision. I noticed that, like I learned that a long time ago with like editors who were in rooms with producers. And I used to watch them as a PA and I'd be like, they would, they would be like kind of wishy-washy about something. And like the reality, especially in documentaries and stuff, you can always fix it later, mm-hmm. but at least make the decision now. You know what I mean? And so I always thought that was a, a good, the best quality to have. I guess I didn't really answer your question because I just went to that answer. But um, I think, uh, what was your question originally? <laughs> it was actually you, you did answer. It was what's the one thing about producing that you that nobody understands that you you oh, wish yeah. they did, and it's it's that your decision making needs to be on point, just like a politician. It sounds like. Yeah, it, it, well, because producing isn't like just when you're on a shoot, you have you're you're, you're handling like fourth. You're always juggling things as a producer. 
So you're trying to like, you're trying to juggle like how to deal with people. You're trying to juggle how to deal with the crew. You're trying to juggle how to deal with people you're interviewing. You're trying to juggle about where you're going to lunch next, when you're, when these guys are going to eat. You're trying to figure out what the questions are that you're going to ask and where you should stop and what you should add and all that kind of stuff. So you have about 40 things going through your head at one time and you should, and that's like, it's helpful to be, uh, to work with good people and help have help making this, uh, decisions, but also like, um, to be decisive in decisions is really important. Right. And, and that's something actually I didn't really understand about producing as a kid being around my parents, you know, and being in the industry, uh, producing just sounded, it sounded so general to me. And then when I got older, I was like, producers, TV producers, news producers anyway, are basically directors. They're the closest thing that a TV crew has to a director because they're the ones who are in charge of everything. And they're saying, okay, we got to go get this shot. Then we got to go get this shot. We got to interview this person. Then we'll break for lunch, blah, blah, blah. And then everything, like you said, in between that, that may come up, you have to adjust to, and it's all on you to make that decision as to, okay, here's how, well, this person, the interviewer is not here yet. So, uh, this is what we're going to do until they get here. We can get this done, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it, cause the, the term producer just sounds so generic, you know? Uh, but it's that, that's essentially what it is. It's, it's, it's the closest thing that I can think of is a, is a director. It's you're, you're directing everybody, um, up to actually, except for what's actually on camera because it's not scripted. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think director is like, if you notice in a lot of documentaries now, like back in the day, I don't remember people who be called being called directors, uh, like the the head producer, but now they are like Ken Burns. I, I, I always knew him as a producer. I never heard that he was the director of a documentary. Because directing documentaries seems like you're, manip- you're manipulating stuff. Yeah. Um, but like in reality, that's exactly that. Now that title has become normal, normalcy. Like directing documentaries, all those thirty for thirties are directed by someone that ESPN did. And um, but, but I don't remember as a kid like Ken. Bur- like, let me check IMDb. But like, I don't know if Ken Burns was ever known as the director when he was like creating the creating like Civil War and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I didn't even know that that was a thing now. Huh. Yeah, yeah. If you look, you always see like directed by. But let me like like Ken Burns, like you know, who pretty much started kind of even sports documentaries with like baseball, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He always he's always just titled as producer. Oh, director. Never mind. Director. He's thirty-one credits. I'm completely <laughs> wrong. But I guess. I guess. He is the director of Brooklyn Bridge, and that's what he kind of got started on Civil War to the director. I don't know. But I always knew that as producer. I didn't know that was a, du- a director until like the mid or late 2000s uh, when they started coming out with like long, like documentaries really got into another heyday. Right, right. Well, I, and that's the thing because like when I hear director, I assume somebody is like directing like actors and, and say this line this yeah. way. And, and I need, okay, I need, you're at like an 11. I need you at a seven, you know? And, uh, but apparently they're using that term for people who do real who are just filming real life stuff or, or putting together archival footage. So we just learned something new today. Um, did you watch, uh, did you, if you like Ken Burns, did you watch the Vietnam documentary he did a couple of years ago? You know, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I, I always liked Ken Burns stuff growing up. Like I watched, uh, every episode of civil war. I watched, I loved the ba- Like baseball was like my favorite thing of all time, you know? Um, growing up, it was like amazing. The fact that he did nine episodes and then eventually I guess 10, um, on, on the game that I, I love the history, the history of baseball, you know? So 
So it was, it was one of my like uh, favorite things in the world. But I, I and I watched the Central Park Five um, recently, um, but I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen the Vietnam War. But I know it's amazing. I'm sure. Yeah, it was good. I mean, he's got so many. Like I was shocked. I I knew him for the Civil War, the Roosevelt one, and then the Vietnam one. And then I I looked him up. I'm like, like you said, he has like 31 movies, 31 credits just as director, and that doesn't include all the one other things that he's had his fingers in. Over the years, uh, he did one on Prohibition that I watched. That one's pretty short. Uh, that was that was good too. But um, but yeah. So you're welcome, Ken. There's a free free promotion for you. Um, what what's something that surprised yeah, he, you? He, he, needs, he needs more promotion and more. I know, yeah, I know. Especially so from yeah, especially from me. Yeah, that, I'm sure he'll I'm sure he'll appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, but um, yeah. What uh, what surprised you about this job when you when you started? Um. What surprised me? Just, um, I don't know. Let me think about that. I obviously haven't thought about any of these questions. That's okay. Uh, what surprised me the most? It was hard to get into. I know that's a, that surprised me. <laughs> um, it's all about who you know. At one, at that point, it was, uh, and so you were, you had to be very friendly. Um, uh, what surprised me? Just. Uh, just the fact, um, I really enjoyed it. That really surprised me. I wasn't sure if I was going to, I was real nervous and stuff. I don't know, dude. I don't know. You, you listed off about. a couple of things there. We, 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 got that. that that'll work. <laughs> I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It was fun. What fun. surprised me? I enjoyed it. There we go. Um, <laughs> I'm a real, I'm a real deep thinker, as you can say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here are the last two, and they're kind of the same question. There's two 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 sides to it. Uh, what's the smoothest shoot you've ever done, and then what's the most challenging shoot that you've ever done? Um, I recently did a shoot with uh, Eddie Olchek and the Chicago Blackhawks announcer in NBC Sports, and that was one of the smoothest I've done in a long time. He and his mother were uh, it was with his mom, and they were both amazing to work with and fun. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, it just went extremely smooth. I always get nervous around shoots, uh, especially the day before and the night before. Uh, but this one was all pretty much buttoned up and it was great. And the Danny shell groups that I worked with was amazing. And the crew that I worked with were, was amazing as well. Um, the most, the, the most difficult one, uh, I had a, uh, camera guy get sick on me the day before we were going to leave. And I had to find a replacement for him. And uh, that kind of was difficult. And then, like, we weren't even sure what we were shooting <laughs> before. <laughs> for one of the shoots, we were about to go on the road for two shoots. And so I had a new camera guy. And I was, we were still trying to figure out the shoots while we were in the new cities and all that kind of stuff. So it was tough that way. Oh, geez. So that was probably the most difficult one. So All right. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah. But yep. also, I just want to say, in general, like, it's uh, – working with your dad has been an education and uh, he is one of the best guys. I, I used to go on the road with your dad for, um, for about six weeks, every, for about four years straight where we do the, uh, um, we would do the Western conference finals and then we work on the DVD for the Stanley cup finals. And right. I would be with him for, from like uh, early May, mid May till, uh, till late June. And it was always awesome to work with your dad in that way. Yeah, he uh, and to meet your whole family. Oh, that's yeah. I'll I'll tell him that he'll he'll appreciate that. I'm sure he wants to know. I I mentioned 
I was interviewing you this week, and he he the one question he contributed was he wants to know if perfect hair runs in your family. Oh, it's, oh, are you kidding? My dad's got great hair still, and my son has a full head. So yeah, great hair. It's my best quality, I believe. All right. And you know what? The most surprising th- the most surprising thing is I still have great hair. Yeah. <laughs> you do. You do. And I actually, I'll, I'll tell this story too, because I, I mean, I, I met you before, but in September, uh, we were at, we'd just gotten to the motel and, uh, I'm loading the stuff into the room and all of a sudden this guy pulls up in a pickup truck and he's, I can't remember if, what the hell did you say? It was like, you guys are losers. Or it might've been more profane than that, but, uh, and I didn't realize it was you. And I was like, what the fuck is, who the fuck is this guy? Like, the locals are are way more aggressive than they're made out to be. And then, uh, and then dad came out and he was like, Oh, it's Bader. <laughs> oh, thank God. Cause there was, but there was like a five second period there. Where I was kind of like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Um, so that was that. And well, like I said, I, and then I felt bad cause you were like, Oh, you've, we've met before. And I'm like, I can't remember where I met this guy, but, uh, <laughs> but it ended up, but then the shoot went great. It was a week long shoot. And so that was, that was, was a lot fun. of fun. I had, I, that was UP is a great place. I was uh, I was uh, thoroughly in- entertained by that place, and it was wonderful to uh, to see hockey in, in a small time arena. And I love I actually Hockeyville is one of the best events in done, and it was pretty cool. Do you do also, that? I did the same thing. What's up? Well, I was going to ask. Do you do that every year? Is that one of your main? Uh, you usually get that job. No, I've just been going the last two years in America, and I requested it this year because I loved it so much the previous year and I really do it. It's like one of the coolest things the NHL does and it brings big time hockey to a small town and it really like the people love it and the people are so nice usually in small towns and so excited to learn about hockey and the UP I learned a lot like um, <laughs> this interesting place the people are very interesting I, I think they're really either really extremely friendly or extremely like kind of um uh, not as friendly, but <laughs> but eventually that you can break them and they can become friendly as well. Right, it's right. It's an interesting place up there, and I love and it's beautiful up there too. It is, yeah. That was that was the most. I'd never been that far north in Michigan before, and I've lived here my whole life. Um, and uh, that was what it really stood. Like we went to that mine that one morning, and that was just that was absolutely gorgeous on the 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 hillside. And uh, yeah, I the whole know. thing it went, and it, I'd say that everything turned out pretty good. That was a that was a good. Uh, it was a good experience. It was a fun shoot. Yeah, it was. It was a good time, and I thought everyone, like, they embraced it, and I thought it was great. So I thought it was fun. And the arena was one of the one of the best looking arenas I've ever, uh, you know, for like, for one of the oldest in the in the country. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the oldest. I, I was confused by the stats on that, but I think maybe it's the, the oldest. But it, I really enjoyed it. It was like the first. It's the oldest that was like. That was like purposed as an continuous. Yeah, continuous. Yeah. Con, that's still being. It's the oldest that's still being used. That's what it was. It's the oldest arena that's yeah. still getting used. Um. So yeah, and I I had no idea it was right there. You know, in, on the horn and uh, up in the UP. So another thing got to learn. Um. My last question is, <laughs> what, what do you have uh, coming up in the future here? What are some jobs that you're going to be working on? You know what? I get to go to the Cotton Bowl for the winter classic, which is pretty fun. Nice. And then I'm going to all, then I'm going to, I think you're, I'm going with your dad actually to the winter classic. Uh, then we're going to the all-star in, um, beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. And then I think there is an outdoor game. I mean, there is an outdoor game at the air force Academy in February, which I'll be going to as well. 
So I'm pretty excited about those locations. I've never, I haven't spent much time in Texas and I haven't spent much time in Colorado. So it'll be good to see those parts of the country. Right on, man. Uh, well, that, that about wraps it up, man. We're at the top of the hour here. So, um, so thanks again for coming on. It's been great talking to you. And, uh, I know you were a little nervous before, but I told you it would fly by and <laughs> you did fine. So uh, that was like pulling teeth, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, well I, I appreciate Alex. Thanks yeah, very much for yeah, having me. No problem, man. Uh, hang on the line. I'll give you a proper goodbye after I'm off the air here. Uh, but everybody else, I'll be back. Uh, it's already freaking Thanksgiving. Um, so my cousins will be back next week and, uh, we don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Zach is not going to be here. Uh, he's too busy being a cop up in, uh, Fargo, North Dakota. So he, he, he won't be here, but the rest of them will. And uh, I'll talk to everybody then. So have a great week. And this has been American Winer on Podcast Detroit.